I had resigned myself to not being able to play with the one ring day one. Like, I get it. That's probably not going to happen unless I'm willing to shell out like 200 ticks for three copies of the one ring. But the thing that I'm actually the most interested in is trying out the land cyclers in Living End. But like bots just don't have the commons like they just don't exist. Am I going to buy a bunch of five dollar Lord of the Rings packs to like get the like I hate this like rental ecosystem. It's just so inconvenient and not that, you know, obviously Arena is terrible because of the prices they charge and and all of the things around it. But at least when you decide you want a card, you can just get the card. And the fact that like you just can't get the cards sometimes on Magic Online sucks. Are the land cyclers good? I don't know. I'm just looking at them. I would know if I, I'd have I'd have Jeez, more information. Jeez, one of those a five seven reach creature that makes a food that's so big, right? The other one, the red one, just attacks for eight and gives one of your other guys trample. Like it's oh, it does do that. Yeah, you're right. Like they're so big that I want to at least try them. The black one has like triple menace and is a six five. Yeah, the black one is for like advanced living in deck builders only i don't really know how you make that one work but if you can it's it's sweet i guess that's a swamp it's not a swamp deck anymore right but if you can put in watery graves then you like both solve your grief casting problem and let this guy work but you know obviously watery grave is really bad in the deck and then once you're putting lands like and you're cutting lands so it's really tough to like Anyways, we'll talk about, you know, during the, our actual Lord of the Rings section since we haven't actually done that yet. It's too bad the blue one is just like, draw three cards, five mana. I was talking about this with Zoe Reed, who is also a living end aficionado, and we agreed that it seemed clearly intentional and that we should <laughs> take it personally. Um, Maybe. I mean, the it's just like a Boon of the Wish Giver knockoff, right? That yeah. was the cycling one. Draw four. Yep. And then Hieroglyphic Illumination is cycling for a blue, but it's a draw two. So we have it like all the way up the chain. <laughs> and we even have the like a million cards with cycling one that can't trip, right? Yes, that's true. True, <laughs> technically. So I do want to try those out. They're just so huge. And also, like, if you can cut lands one for one for, like, any number of them, even, like, cutting lands one for one for, like, two of them, I think meaningfully improves your deck if you, if the the mana still works. And if you can do even more, then that is kind of interesting. But we'll get a little more into it. I just wish that I could have tried them today is all. My entirety of Lord of the Rings exposure has just been tweets and people trying to get cards and also the thing that i was really excited about happened to honorog but in legacy which was uh casting teferi on turn two uncounterable oh with the yeah with the mana <laughs> yeah. guy yeah that guy yes. seems really good i know that's that was the card i was the most excited about in this set because yeah. it just seems so strong delighted halfling yes we will definitely talk about that card uh yeah but I, I haven't really watched that much gameplay. <sighs> Spike was playing the his little pet Mystic Forge deck, which is adorable and I like it, but mm -hmm. is not indicative of uh, Lord of the Rings cards per se, as much as it is. The One Ring is really good with Voltiki if you want to do that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which, I mean, I do. I, I like that. Of course the you want to do cool. that. Yeah, I know you want to do that. Also, I hate 
I hate that the One Ring has this like massive flavor hole in it, <laughs> which is that you, you accumulate all this burden and you take damage because you have the One Ring, right? Yeah, I know. But then you get and another, then you play the a one second ring. the One Ring, <laughs> and then it's, then you have no burden anymore. And but it's how? Just like, uh, how could you possibly? It has to be a legendary permanent, right? Like, how yes. could you possibly deal with that in, within the rules of Magic the Gathering? I guess, like, you'd have to Wait, have honestly, a does it have to be a legendary permanent? Like, it is legendary because it's actually flavorfully legendary. I think it's mechanically better because it's legendary. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it is a stronger card because it has the legendary type. And, and that's not even, like, because of synergies with stuff that is good with yeah, it's just stuff. his own it's inbuilt like, thing yeah actually the ability to draw another one and kill your first one is really good because like back in the day when Talarian academy legend rule existed like the the legend rule was such that you couldn't play a second Talarian academy if you already had one in play yeah so you couldn't just like nick those turbo ramp back in the day where you had grim monoliths and stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> and it just feels like that was better handled somehow than this one ring situation yeah in, I at mean, least in my mind they'd have had to i guess you could add a line on there that's just like you may not cast spells named the one ring yeah there's but, only one but yeah your opponent could get there the one ring too they're from you know a shared different universe mm -hmm. or something well yeah and also mechanically we've been through this it's horrendous if one player's legendary permanent keeps the opponent from casting the legendary permanent yeah the aforementioned Tolarian Academy example being mm -hmm. the best one. <laughs> the goblins with four Tolarian Academies in their sideboard. Yeah. Peak potential. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to episode 297 of the MDG Grandcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hi, Lee. Hi, Chris. It feels like it's been a while since we actually, just me and you, did a thing. Yeah, it has because we had a Collins episode, a break, and then a Jesse episode. So now we're just sort of back to our old standby process. <laughs> The classic. Yeah, this week we're going to talk about mostly the stuff that we like tried to talk about last week, but just kept getting derailed by various conversational hooks. You know, regionals are, I think, all done. I don't know if there's a straggler one or something like that. I can't. I really struggle to keep track of these. But want to go over kind of the state of Pioneer post-regionals since it is still Pioneer RCQ season and I have almost all of my RCQs still ahead of me so uh, we're still going to be thinking about Pioneer but don't want to be like completely focused on it uh, we are going to talk also about Lord of the Rings and Modern because of that and we never really talked about the like sealed tournament at vegas and like what it kind of means and, and our thoughts about it so we'll probably bring that up too as well yeah we should talk about it just because yeah it's a thing that happened also we only had like an hour or so leeway into the last episode before we <laughs> just started recording when it got announced so it didn't yeah. have a lot of time to think about it no or no. even i find information about it right and i don't know if there's like that much more information now but at least we've been able to process it a little bit more so pioneer yeah. So Pioneer, we are, you know, still kind of in the world that we understood it where like Rakdos is still heavily played. 
but everybody has their plans against Rakdos. And so overall, after the entire like stretch of regionals, it has ended up with a 49.5% win rate. I suspect that the win rate of the deck varies significantly based on your experience with it. And players like Misplaced Ginger are going to win a lot more matches than players who have not fully developed not only their plans in-game and for sideboarding and stuff, but like an understanding of what to do with those last five sideboard slots on any particular weekend and stuff like that. So 49.5% is not a super meaningful number because you know if you're good with Rakdos. I mean, those are inverter numbers, right? Yeah, exactly. Those are inverter <laughs> numbers. But like, you know if you can take Rakdos to a tournament and win with it. You know if you are comfortable with it and it's your deck. So I I also want to head this off while we're talking about Rakdos midrange for maybe the first time in a little bit. It's not a bad deck. <laughs> like, I see people kind of down talking it now, saying that ah, it's washed up. Why would you play it instead of pick something else? Sacrifice, for instance. And it's just like, if you're just going to an RCQ and playing Pioneer, you can win an RCQ with Rakdos midrange. It's not out of the question at all. Yeah. Like this deck just kind of aligns with what I've always thought about it now. Now that the format's opened up a little more, it's just like. A skill testing deck that plays good cards in it and isn't like significantly favored anywhere mm -hmm. yep take the that right card changed. with thought sees the more right you are and the more often you are right then the more you'll win and make good decisions with your fables and uh, yeah and your mulligans for the love of god and your mulligans yep 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 <laughs> i know it's not sexy to talk about but the, the mulligan does feature quite heavily in your win percentage, especially with a deck like a mid-range deck. Mm -hmm. It's going to be pretty rare that I register Rakdos for a Pioneer tournament. It's, you know, not I haven't spent the time with it to like maximize my win percentage in the way that you kind of need to have. And I don't know that I will put that time in, but if this is your deck, don't switch off of it because you saw a 49.5% win rate over the course of regionals. Like, that's not meaningful and not helpful information to you, a Rakdos player. Yeah, like uh, anyone who's considering switching away from Rakdos that they like and enjoy and are willing to play just because it had a, a few bad weekends. It's only like a 50% win rate, right. which is the average. <laughs> when everybody is specifically showing up, like choosing their deck to beat it and stuff and like making sure you know like the is a deck evolved over time and i was like i just have to play behold the multiverse in my main deck because you know i get thoughts you so much like you i mean know. the blue white control deck or the blue sorry the blue white lotus field deck mm -hmm. it just like exists because it wanted to be only rectos and mono green right yeah <laughs> i i have no problem with someone wanting to register rectos for any particular tournament spirits i think continues to be pretty good i think invasion of gobicon just like made the deck better it just made it a, a good deck with like three significant plans like you can go kind of wide and use a lord to push damage really hard and like spell quell or something in there i guess spell queller is part of all of these plans but yeah, of course. you know you know go kind of wide use a lord to push damage a mausoleum wanderer to just like deal a lot of damage quickly you can use you know curious obsession and cover it with counter spells and just like make games that it feels like your opponent never was in or you can flip an invasion of gobicon over like a slow game 
get a couple of tokens or get a couple of counters, disrupt them. Like there, there's just like several different ways that this deck can win and they all kind of work together. And like the deck is certainly beatable, like Rending Volley, really good against it. Mayhem Devil, really good against it. But it is a more flexible, more powerful deck than it ever has been. And uh, I've been pretty impressed with Spirits generally with Invasion of Gobicon. Yeah, I, I think it's a solid deck. I I think it also benefits from the people kind of shying away from Rakdos like heavily. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't think Rakdos is super favored in any particular matchup. It's just good against it, you know? Yeah, I do think Rakdos Sacrifice, which has become kind of the... You know, a lot of people who are Rakdos-Z players have elected to go with Rakdos Sacrifice because it just kind of has a similar matchup profile to Rakdos, but is better in the mirror and is a little more exaggerated in in its, like, matchup percentages. And if the ones where you are good are the more popular ones, then it, it might be a better choice. And it has been a good choice for the past several weekends. And that, you know, Sacrifice, just a strong deck. Yeah, I, I actually really like Sacrifice. I think it's one of the decks I would be more than willing to play in any RCQ. Like, it's, I talked about this last week, I think. It's definitely in my top three of decks I'm just willing to play. Mm-hmm. It's also fun. You get a lot of game yes, actions that's, in. That's primarily the reason that I like it, yeah. that I like it, right? You get to, you know, move things between zones all the time and do like one damage. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean,. Mayhem Devil does a lot of damage. That's it's, yeah, a lot of one damage. Uh, yeah, very exciting. <laughs> um, no, I love playing Rakdos. I love playing Sacrifice decks generally. I love like cube formats that support the Rakdos Sacrifice deck, just like the way the cards work. But I do always feel like I'm punting like at least one time a turn. I'm like giving up some value somewhere that I like screwed up because there's just so many game actions. Yeah, that's the. I usually refer to that as like the combo thing where people are like think that it's hard because you take so many game actions. <laughs> you just have that much more opportunity to mess up. Mm-hmm. But it's not that bad. Like you can if you're doing that much stuff a turn, you can mess up a couple of times and that, still be pretty That's good. the thing, is like this is the leeway that it gives you. Like if you don't start your turn by pinging exactly the right thing with Mayhem Devil in anticipation of how like it's fine. You'll make up for it at some point, probably. Yeah, like sacrifice something to deadly dispute. Do I target with Mayhem Devil? I will hedge and target it, and then mm-hmm. you draw into that you can kill it now, so you're you're good. <laughs> yeah. And Right. The deck is powerful enough to just kind of forgive little things like that a lot of the time. And yeah, it's a good deck. It remains good. I want to mention recently we have had a Phoenix resurgence. You know, we had it in the top eight of one of the RCs. We had it just win Edmonton. Yeah, I was shocked by yeah, this, actually. Kind of wild. And we also had another Demi Lich feat. I, you know, I was I went on record like when you were like, how, what do we think about this Demi-Lish Phoenix deck? I was like, oh, yeah, we'll just never see it again, right? Well, you know, I mean, here it is. I was wrong. Demi-Lish Phoenix, top eight of this challenge, uh, undefeated in the Swiss and then got taken down uh, in the quarters, I think. Demi-Lish Phoenix, no, no copies this is the exact of Temporal Trespass. Yeah. The, the RCQ. Or the, sorry, the RC. The exact same 75. So it's not been iterated on. It's just been played again. <laughs> yeah. Just ig- ignoring the concept of graveyard hate. Nobody is playing it, which is true. There's very little graveyard hate. And if there's very little graveyard hate, then Demi Lich is acceptable. And if there's any speck of 
uh, unlicensed horses, you're out of there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the rest of the deck is like okay against unlicensed. You know, hearse is not the best at stopping you from doing just like treasure cruising stuff. But yeah, certainly, like if you start running into graveyard hate consistently, then your demi lich deck is is not gonna feel good. Yeah, I still, I still don't think we'll see it. No it's not gonna it's not being iterated on even now like this one just played it in a challenge <laughs> right <laughs> i'm curious i'm just like searching demulich in pioneer to see how many people are playing it and it's not giving me any deck lists so that didn't work and i don't feel like fixing that so moving on yeah i mean i think that phoenix makes a certain amount of sense when like there's a bunch of other blue decks and then like especially a bunch of ones that are not playing delve spells and you get to be the treasure cruise blue deck and you get a certain advantage there. Like in this matchup matrix we have from the RZs, it has like a 48% against the like general milieu of is it creativity decks, but there's just like a lot of like non treasure cruise mid-range and control decks that are happening. I I played a match with the Crackling Drake deck against Rakdos today. And it just felt easy because they had so little graveyard hate. Treasure Cruise was just on. Anytime I drew a Treasure Cruise, like there was nothing that they could possibly do. And so in the absence of people being like, oh, I got to be ready for Phoenix, then you can cast Treasure Cruise and just crush people. Yeah, it's kind of nice how the decline of Grease Fang helped out Phoenix like be real. Because mm -hmm. when Grease Fang was more popular, people were like, I'm just going to have graveyard hate. They're, they're not as good if you just take a graveyard apart. Yeah. And Phoenix like wasn't playable during that time span for the same reason. <laughs> I, I will say you got to feel out your local metagame and see what people are doing, because I think a lot of people are going to show up to RCQs just putting two unlicensed horses in their sideboard because that's just kind of what you do. And not everybody is going to be like trying to trying to be on the bleeding edge of like using all of their sideboard slots. It's like. And I don't think it's wrong to just shove a couple unlicensed hearses in your sideboard because who knows what people will show up with to an RCQ, have some graveyard hate because people do graveyard stuff. I don't I don't really respect or think you should consider the local metagame as much as you do, I guess, because I, from experience, whenever I go to an RCQ, everyone knows immediately what deck I'm playing, <laughs> which this season has just been Lotus Field every single time. Mm hmm. I top eight every single tournament and I never play against Damping Sphere or I very rarely play against Damping Sphere. And it's not just me. It's not like, oh, the, the Lee, the one Lotus Field player, he's in the room. There's yeah. like four other ones. Well, too. it's because they all have um, they all have unlicensed horses in the slots where they should have Damping Spheres. Oh, of course. <laughs> I'm honestly not kidding. Like, I think that you can show up to uh, an RC or you can show up to a challenge and be like i believe that people will have taken their graveyard hate out of their sideboards and i can exploit that by playing the graveyard deck i don't think that's actually true at the rcq level i think you just will play against the sideboard cards that are still in people's sideboards okay what i was saying is i oh oh so you're saying that the the graveyard hate is in the local sideboards of our local be, instead of like damping spheres because they're just not thinking that everyone hates losing to me for some reason but they never actually want to put in work to do it to beat me. yeah because it's less that people are responding to their local metagame and more that people are doing this as a very part-time hobby and maybe don't aren't changing cards in their lists really and stuff like that you know people aren't sure. taking it as 
as seriously and spending as much time and like mental energy as we have burned ourselves out doing that's that's fair yeah i mean i'm i'm definitely nowhere near as super invested in tournaments as i used to be but i also do the weekly podcast about magic yeah so. <laughs> and we look at the deck lists like constantly and it you know the information at least churns through and i think a lot of people just don't have the time to to do that and it's very easy to just be like why would i take on license horses out of my sideboard they're great against grease fang and phoenix and i hate losing to those decks, decks. that have like yeah people who haven't played in two months don't don't realize that why would phoenix they? doesn't show up anymore right so okay yeah that's that's a good that's a good way to look at it that i had not thought of Lotus Field also got a challenge win this weekend, which is, you know, kind of surprising because it's it's the deck that like in my evaluation of it has always been like it's it, you can't play it on Magic Online because you get beat up. You can't play it at RCQs, although you can play it at RCQs. But I feel like I, I feel like people show up with hate for it, but maybe not. But it always does well at like big paper tournaments. And now, it you know. Finally, it's like, yeah, you can you can play it on Moto. You just have to main deck your Voyaging Satyrs in order to do it. Well, Voyaging Satyrs busted, first of all. Mm-hmm. Second of all, <laughs> the, uh, the at least at the local level, people do play hate. Uh, it's just that they vastly overestimate or don't know how to use their hate gotcha. sure. properly, sure. so they lose. Like, for instance, I told you about this match. I played against a blue-red deck that was... Uh, Ledger Shredder, Young Pyromancering, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And in there, I want to cast two spells per turn deck. They put Damping Sphere in it. And I'm like, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> right, now I have four turns to find my Bozeju. Right, and I just didn't put a Lotus Field into play because they didn't wait for it. Sure. Not realizing... I mean, they can't wait forever because they do have to do their thing. Right. But my opponent did do the classic with a Ledger Shredder in play. Yeah, play a damning sphere, try to cantrip for the second spell. Nope. Wrong order. Wrong order. So uh, people are just not playing with their hate effectively at the local level, even if they do have it. Yeah, that makes sense. I I mean, also people don't play Lotus Field that well at the local level either. So So they might be winning, but against it reasonably often with their like non-optimized hate cards. It's just kind of a wash either way, right? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't surprise me that Lotus Field would win a challenge because the deck is incredibly strong. It is. And you can play it really well. And some of the new sideboard cards, uh, mostly Sunfall, have really impressed me. I really like that card. Hmm. It's very good. So what is particularly good about it? It doesn't get disdainful strokes, which matters sometimes uh, against spirits. It gets around the Invasion of Gobagon thing, uh, which it gives indestructible and hexproof mm-hmm. i don't remember the backside light shield array something like that uh and in the matchups where you're just like need a bunch of rats it is a wrath that is also a creature because you don't combo in those matchups like against mono light or whatever right. so adding you a five want... power creature or whatever is is good yeah four power a four four basically sure it does get four, four. disdainful stroke though do you mean it doesn't get spell quallered i i did i'm sorry spell quallered <laughs> thank you <laughs> embarrassing forgot the uh four cmcc thing i i specifically said spirits too didn't i yeah that's why i figured out what you meant so <laughs> okay yeah i i really like sunfall and i haven't i have played with chandra hope's beacon uh, which was the win condition in this specific deck mm-hmm. uh, and there's one in the sideboard as well but i have not played a lot with it 
Sure. Uh, it just seems like a fine card. Like it's nothing special. I do like that this list is up to four Balagad recovery, which I think makes a lot of sense once you are using Chandra as your win condition. Yeah. Also, they <laughs> this particular list also uh, dropped one of the lands to fit in the fourth Balagad recovery, so mm-hmm. it's like fully in the land slot. Mm-hmm. Seems totally fine. And yeah, those the three main deck voyaging satyrs are just an acknowledgement of like white weenie exists and spirits exists and let's try to like be a little bit faster go a little bit under be a little more flexible it's also better than like the cards voyaging satyr is replacing are the impulse type cards mm-hmm. the the actual in this deck it's actual the fourth impulse because there's only three mm-hmm. but no the shimmer, shimmer possibilities, possibilities and the joint exploration yeah. joint exploration sucks by the way i keep seeing deck lists <laughs> i played it it's garbage it's really bad <laughs> Uh, and Voyager Theater is just very good. They also fit a dig through time in here somehow. Hmm, they cut the Behold the Beyond, uh, Behold the Multiverse. What's it called? Behold the Beyond. The the seven mana discard your hand two over three. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is not that good of a card. I most of the time I want to win without casting it, mm-hmm. and you can do that almost every time you cast Merchant Ultimatum, as long as your opponent doesn't have Shieldred or Sure uh, Narset. Sure. Like, that's the only time you actually need that card. Gotcha. And since those cards are at, like, a low, you don't want to play it. So I, I had it in my sideboard this weekend because I'm there's a lot of shield shits around. Mm-hmm. Or not this weekend, but the last the last turn I played. Uh, and I just boarded it out, like, every round. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's see. Boros Convoke exists. You can play it. I wouldn't, but you can play it. I, I will not lose respect for you for playing Boros Convoke in a tournament. It is a deck that exists in Pioneer. Boros Convoke is Pioneer Charbelcher. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it feels like that, to me. <laughs> that is exactly what it is, I think. It's just like a high variance deck that relies a lot on your opening hand and your matchup spread, like all at the same time, and you're just going for it. Yep. That's Boros Convoke. That's yep. Charbelcher. Every time I play it, I cannot put together an artifact and gleeful destruction in my opening hand like i i always either have i have a spell that makes goblins if i have an artifact and i have just zero artifacts to be seen or like there's just i just mold a five every single game and and find nothing so it, it it's not a deck that is friendly to me but if you're a little bit better at drawing the cards than i am then it it's fine it does feel unstoppable when it runs hot it's like literally it. unstoppable you cannot it has turn twos that beat everything in the format so yeah it's it's real nice that's why i don't blame anyone for playing it but i don't think it is consistent enough to like warrant trying to play it if you otherwise wouldn't yeah like for instance i like played hogak when it was really good and i normally wouldn't play that deck but it was super good (laughs) and this is not at that level if you want to play the aggro deck of the format here it is although mono white is also I actually don't think yeah I think this is not an aggro deck the way aggro players like to play an aggro deck <laughs> it, it depends on like your vibes I guess but it, it does play a lot a lot of those same skills of like anticipating what is in your opponent's hand and trying to like you know obviously the games where you convoke something on turn two you just do that and you win and, and, and your mulliganing has to reflect that. But there are a lot of games where you play things out a little bit slower and have to make your bad cards combine into doing something decent. And I think it is pretty rewarding for a dedicated aggro player to learn how to play this deck. But on the flip side, what about Mono White? I think it's fine. Yeah. I It's better than I had kind of like 
replaced it recently. I think that the Copper Coat Vanguard does add a reasonable bit to the deck by making your good matchups better and making your worst matchups probably a little bit worse. But that polarization is like kind of what you want if you because I, I, I kind of regard mono white as a little bit of a metagame choice. And so that's kind of what you want is to like, yeah, I I beat up on Lotus Field. I, you know, I'm not very good against Rakdos. That's OK. Like, I know what I'm trying to do with this deck. Yeah, I don't have any super thoughts about it. I I rarely see it. Uh gameplay of it nowadays like it just pops up here and then and mm-hmm. it got like a 53 percent over the weekend which is pretty solid 52 percent yeah that that 24 percent um, against racto sacrifice i guess is the main thing that would give me pause that's an that inc- tech is really hard to beat yes like it's the claim the firstborn thing i talked about last time where mm-hmm. if claim the firstborn is like backbreaking against your opponent it's so hard to come back from and mono white humans needs everything on its table yeah if they get attacked by their own Adeline, it's just like, what? what's that? That's it. Yeah. No, we're done here. My deck of choice for this weekend is probably going to be Is It Drake's. I've been enjoying playing it. I like how compact it is. I like playing the cantrips right now, and I like Spell Pierce a lot right now. So deck has felt pretty strong to me. Yeah, I, I think it's fine. Like, the is it... I don't view that as like a... Is it Drake's strategy? I think it's just more, is it interactive cards mm-hmm. with a strategy? And I think those cards are well suited right now, especially with the Rise of Spirits and Mono White and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, How is the Rakdos Sacrifice matchup? Do you know? I think it's like, I mean, you are a fiery impulse deck, so it can only be so bad is kind of the, the core of that. Especially given the way that the Sacrifice deck is built now, where it's a Thoughtseize deck and... Fable of the Mirror Breaker means that Spell Pierce is a card that is just on. You know, you get Thoughtseized, but you have Treasure Cruises in your deck. So I'm not, like, afraid to play against Racto Sacrifice. And also, like, you're really good at killing Mayhem Devil, and that's pretty important. Okay, cool. Also, Crackling Drake can't be claimed the Firstborn, so that's pretty <laughs> important. Especially Game 1, where they don't... Like, they probably are supposed to bring in their actual their Furnace Reigns because yes. you have Crackling Drake in your deck, but your Crackling Drake isn't that big when it's on their side of the table. So Furnace Reigns, like, lets them kill it, but I don't think that that's actually that bad for you. So that's really nice to have a big threat that doesn't actually kill you when it gets threatened. Yeah, like, what, what removal spells do they even have on their sideboard? Uh, Rending Volley? That also kills... Um... The, the crackling drake and that's kind of it it's just unlicensed first or sorry, yeah i mean fatal push kills crackling Furnace drake Rates. like it's always turned on in Rakdos sacrifice so yeah of course that, that's not a sideboard card though <laughs> no, no. but like so they they have ways to answer the drake but you are playing this card advantage game where you just kill their stuff that matters try to keep your life total in a place where cat is not ending you and then just like kind of chain drakes and treasure cruises and that's been pretty effective for me okay cool yeah i i'm not gonna make it to this race queue i wanted to burn a bunch of local ones Mm -hmm. but but this one's not one i'm gonna make it to that's pretty fair oh yeah and just to update i don't think metamorphic alteration is good i think that like the pieces aren't there for it but i also think the combo is just too weak to really super merit it the fact that removal breaks up your combo and one of your pieces is a completely unplayable garbage card is a little too much for the deck to work but it 
specifically right now, the Grixis mana base, it doesn't work. Nobody has solved it in a way that is satisfying to me. Uh, when you're just blue-black, you know, I watch Canister lose, like, nine matches in a row trying to play, like, basically Demir Inverter with this substituted in for the Inverter combo. If you're Demir, then you probably need to be on, like, Ledger Shredders and some other threat or something as a way to, like, pressure them and then allow you to combo. But ultimately... I don't think it really works. It made sense to me as a way to like make the Rakdos deck have a thing that it can do to like kill mono green, but the mana just doesn't work. And it certainly doesn't work if you're trying to play dig through time in the Rakdos deck. So some other way of building it needs to happen, but I'm not confident that the combo is strong enough to merit the work being put into it. Also, what kills me, and I realized this last episode, but I was in too deep to back down, <laughs> uh, is that if it ever gets popular, if this combo deck ever gets popular, people will start playing Heartless Act in their deck. Yes. Which, unlike a normal removal spell, just kills doesn't you. just break up the combo. You just lose. Yeah, yeah. And that's so bad. <laughs> it's so terrible. No, that's that's what I was saying. Like, yes, that's... Yes, this deck can never get particularly popular because it just, there's just a safety outlet for it, which is good. Uh, but also, I playing the deck, even when it was kind of working, it just had this like weird fragility to it where I just felt like things could go really wrong in like a heartbeat. And when I'm playing stronger decks, like it just doesn't feel like that, you know? You, you feel like, okay, I just need to draw like one even in this game where i'm really behind like i draw like one thing and that's going to turn things around for me and that just like wasn't something in this deck your cards were too weak and 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 the thing you were doing was too fragile so not a yeah, fan to kind of to kind of put it in perspective the this new combo deck the metamorphic alteration deck sees so little play and no success that it is outperformed by the sultai rona combo deck mm-hmm. which is such a french deck that like spikes every now and then yes yeah Oof. don't play either of those decks if you're trying to win your rcq i think you could win an rcq with this ulti the rona deck you could you're not setting yourself up for it though though i don't think you're supposed to reveal zerda at the start of the game no <laughs> just let here, here's what i'm playing opponent yeah i don't think that adds anything to your deck <laughs> especially in your assault eye deck with a boros commander Ugh. That's all against the rules, first of all. Gross. All right. Should we talk about this $100,000 sealed tournament at Magic Fest yeah. Vegas? I would love to hear your thoughts on it first, because my thoughts are very heavily influenced by the fact I'm not going. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of complicated thoughts about this, I think. Uh, number one, I think cool to have big paper tournaments generally. That's in the backdrop of this whole thing. However... And, and I mean, ultimately, like, this is just a GP, $100,000 prize pool, top eight gets pro tour invites. It's a big open tournament. Capped at 2,000 players, $160 entry fee, and you also have to pay to get into the door of the event. And that's like $60 or something like that. So it's like the most expensive tournament. I don't think I've ever paid $220 to play in a tournament. If this thing caps, then the rake is 80% of the entry fee and they don't increase the prize pool based on registration at all. So my, my thing about high entry fee tournaments, like I wouldn't mind playing high entry fee, high prize tournaments because one of the big problems with 
magic tournaments, especially big magic tournaments, is that the cost of renting the venue, uh, hiring the judges, like paying for everything that needs to happen in order to have a big magic tournament, th those are big static costs. And if you're trying to hold a tournament with like a 40 or $50 entry fee, then the costs like really eat into that. If you're having a tournament that's kind of like, you know, a, a high roller experience or whatever, and you're like, yeah, this tournament costs $300, but it has a really big prize pool and we get to like a 25% rake because the entry fee is high and a lot of the prizes because those those fees are the, you know, cost to run the tournament is relatively static compared, to, you know, it, it, it doesn't change based on how much money is in the entry fees of the prize pool. So if you have higher entry fee, higher prize pool, more of that money can go back to the players in terms of prizes. This is like the worst of both worlds when the entry fee is really high and then also the rake is like extreme. 80% rake if if the tournament caps, that's brutal. Every five of your dollars, you're getting back one of those into the prize pool. That's horrible. Yeah, I... There's a lot of money discourse on the timeline the day after this was announced, uh, and it was kind of exhausting because tournaments are super, super duper expensive, especially, and this is also something I don't like. This is in Las Vegas, mm -hmm. which is one of the most expensive cities in the world to have anything in. You're spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars to just do this trip too. So those, those right. costs are there as well. And I, I wish that instead of having a yearly Las Vegas giant gp because we've had one for the last like there was a break between mm -hmm. uh, for covid right but we've basically had one in las vegas every year we've could for the last like six years yeah and it's been this big capstone giant event but why doesn't like europe get anything like why are we only doing las vegas once a year that that is one of my main complaints about it mm -hmm. <laughs> i and i i like uh, Europe is obviously way more expensive for me to go to right. personally, but it feels like if we're reintroducing large tournaments that people can play in on a global scale, we're not really making it very global here. No. And <laughs> like, it's just always in Las Vegas. Selfishly. I'd also love for one to be in like Atlanta or something because that's just quite a bit easier for me. But yeah, it, it is really weird that it's just Las Vegas every time, like one of the worst cities to be in. <laughs> Yeah, I. That is also a contributing factor of why I won't attend this. Like I, it's that, and also KubeCon is in Wisconsin, which I then I would rather go to, and is a much cheaper place to exist in. Yeah, no, I love Q KubeCon. Just like, you know, recognizing the realities of the situation and just being in a place. Like, there's no reason yeah. to be in this place except to cube, but that's the only reason we're we're here anyway. So it's fine. Yeah, like I don't driving to or not driving but flying to las vegas and then just like going between the convention center and the hotel basically the entire time or the casino mm -hmm. which is probably attached to the venue to be honest yes because it's las vegas uh it's, it's just like not no i mean I you're, you're paying a, a tax <laughs> for being in vegas that you will never like see the benefits of you're like in vegas but you're just playing magic in a basement anyways so so I'd much rather, you know, freeze to death in Madison, Wisconsin and cube all weekend. Yeah, sounds great to me. <laughs> but the the whole prize pool rake thing is egregious. I, I remember that I don't remember who hosted this tournament, so forgive me. But there was a tournament series, not even a series, it was just two tournaments 
where they did something like this, where they had variable, the entry was static, but the payout was supposed to vary based on attendance and they did not get as much attendance as they had hoped for. Mm-hmm. It was a, a higher entry fee, higher payout sort of deal. Yeah. Uh, and they had announced scaled, it, as a, point of it as a 20K or whatever, but it yes. like they didn't hit that um, enough people to like do that or whatever. Yeah, I vaguely remember right. this. Yeah, this is this is the same tournament. But the, the structure idea, if they had followed through with it, right. was actually quite sound. Uh, having the prize pool scale off of the number of entrants past a certain threshold. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously that requires a little more work than just, okay, give me $100, $200. But it's way less feels bad to, you know, fly to Las Vegas, not knowing exactly that you're, if the event caps, you're going to be not seeing your money back at all. Right. Likelihood. And, and not that I expect to be getting my money back from a, any given Magic tournament, but every bit of value helps and... But just like there is a certain level at which it becomes exploitative and it's hard for me to see an 80% rake as anything but like taking advantage of people who just want to play magic. And for what it's worth, the the GPs people were hearkening back to like when they're actual Grand Prix before they're at Magic Fest. Yeah, bad value. And you could you could go to one whatever and you paid 50 to $80 depending on when you were playing them. Mm-hmm. I need to just play for a weekend. I think those times are way past and people asking for them again are not really being authentic mm-hmm. with what's realistic what's willing yeah. to do. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that money has uh, gone up a lot <laughs> in the past few years and we're not going back to like $80 GPs. Yeah. Like, that's just not going to happen. The door fee makes sense to me. Like other, uh, fighting game turns just have a door fee. That's just part of it. People don't even question it. So that 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 doesn't bother me as much. It's more that the the entry to what you're expected to get back is just so exorbitantly. Like there's a huge gulf. Yeah. Yeah, it it just it doesn't feel good. And I think it just feels like we are paying to advertise the game at this point in a way that like sucks. I, I don't know. Organized play is a way to sell the game and to also try to make it be like a profit center feels really weird when like these dollar amounts are just like barely a blip on the Watsi budget spreadsheet. And it, it sucks to feel like just sucked dry at that point when like, does this even make a difference to anybody except for like maybe one executive's bonus at the end of the year or something like that? Why does it matter? Also one of one of the things I really don't like about the the high price point tournament, like regardless of the rank or whatever, mm-hmm. just like having a $160 entry is not accessible right. to people. Like if I, I played my first GP when I was in my teens, right? And I just ground, I grinded out magic online dailies and paid for it via that. And just, it was like $150 for the whole trip. Yeah. Like getting there, paying for the GP, playing in it, coming back, not including not including food, and that was it. That's all it was. Mm-hmm. And now, if I were or someone is sixteen and wants to play in this tournament, they have to fly to Las Vegas, <laughs> be exist in Las Vegas for like three days, which is not an easy task for people with no money, mm-hmm. and then 
pay $160 to enter and another 60 on top of it to get into the door. That's just like so high. Like you only want people and they're like 20 pluses to play the game is like what this is saying to me. Yeah. No, it it is like fully embracing its idea as being a luxury hobby. And I don't know it it necessarily then excludes a lot of people. Fortunately, there are like lots of ways to play magic and you can kind of choose it. But, you know, like the way that I like to play magic is in tournaments where everybody is trying really hard and it becomes less and less accessible over time, which sucks. Right. Like I, I would not continue to play magic for as long as I have been if I couldn't play in these large tournaments mm-hmm. like that. That was something I was interested in. Everyone's different. Everyone's got their little quirk and how they enjoy to play. I'm not saying like people aren't happy playing commander at home or whatever, and they don't care about this, but are the people who want to, mm-hmm. I feel like they should have some sort of avenue to be able to do that. Even the magic is inherently very expensive. Like, don't get me wrong. It is a luxury hobby. Yeah. But like having this many barriers of entry, it's just so, I don't like it. Also, imagine paying $160 for this tournament on top of $60 to get in and flying to Vegas and getting your hotel and stuff and just opening up a shitty sealed pool. It's a sealed tournament. Like, that yeah. can happen. And I also, like, have noticed a trend over the past couple of years where, like, every sealed format is atrocious. Like, I've enjoyed a lot of the draft formats, and I think that they have been knocking these sets out of the park generally. You know, there's been some bad ones in there, but a lot of the draft formats are incredible. Like, uh, uh, several of my top 10 draft formats of all time are from the past couple of years. Even from my favorite sets, the sealed tournaments that I've played on Arena and stuff, like, the sealed just sucks. So I don't hold high hopes that the Lord of the Rings sealed is going to be like a fun tournament. This is Wilds of Eldraine. Oh, it's Wilds of Eldraine. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess I, I wasn't paying attention to that. But I, I don't hold high hope that this is going to be a fun sealed format. And one Actually, somebody in my chat pointed out something that I think makes a lot of sense, which is that the bonus sheets just like end up contributing so much to a sealed pool or not contributing to your sealed pool that the gaps between the good sealed pools and the bad sealed pools are like wider than they've ever been. And so that has been part of like what kind of ruins sealed as a format lately. I, I just think it's kind of a crappy format from the dawn of time mm-hmm. <laughs> and i know i'm not in the minority there <laughs> no and but historically like i have enjoyed sealed and i you know back when i was playing gps i enjoyed playing limited gps and i liked building my deck and i just haven't enjoyed sealed in years so there's something going on that has made it worse and i i can't could not justify flying to las vegas to play a sealed tournament in this day and age yeah so this is just this is just kind of my thoughts on it like i most mostly what gets me is that it's Huey kind of painted it as this like return more to big limited tournaments, big tournaments and magic. Uh, and it's really gated in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It's in Las Vegas again for the 50th time yeah. or whatever. And I'm just never going to go like it. It's, right. It's very disappointing. No, I like for those the announcement metrics. of this tournament. Like I read it and I was like, OK, we'll talk about it on stream and on the podcast. And that was all that it meant to me. Right. Because like zero yeah. percent chance that I was going to go to this. Yep. We don't have to keep beating this horse, though. Yeah. We've 
We've covered it. All right, let's talk about some Lord of the Rings cards. Okay, because I'm bursting for some of these cards. <laughs> Are you? Well, also the one, so background. The set came out of Magic Online today. Mm-hmm. If you were fortunate enough to have a million treasure chests saved up or could borrow cards or whatever. Uh, and a lot of it has been talk about the One Ring. Absolutely incredible card. Uh, it's very good. It was the first card spoiled like a month ago. Yeah. And it's fallen prey to what I will now call the Urza Saga cycle, which is, you know, Urza Saga was spoiled months before all the other cards. And everyone just forgot how busted it was until we started playing with it. Yeah. <laughs> and the One Ring is the exact same thing. Like, I saw this card because the first card's spoiled. Yeah. And we were like, card's oh, this card's pretty great. Good. Yeah. And, then, and everyone's like, oh, wow, do you guys know that the One Ring is really good? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, we, we did. I, I did. <laughs> do, do you remember? Like, this was <laughs> like mid-February. <laughs> I don't remember when the card was spoiled. Yeah. Well, the One Ring is good. I mean, we can just talk about this one first and like what it's doing, but it's popping up in lots of things. You can play it in Tron. You can play it in you know mystic forge decks you can play it in probably just straight up elementals honestly like mm-hmm. i think yeah. it fits really nicely in there just a, an incredible card drawing engine and that that fog turn where they can't hurt you means that like you play it you pass nothing they do on their turn can damage you you draw a card, you lose two li- you lose a life, you draw two cards. Like you've drawn three cards now and stopped them from hurting you for a turn. You can use those cards to deal with whatever they've done. And then you lose two life and then you draw three cards and you just have infinite resources then. So drawing six cards for three life is very good. Mm-hmm. That's a double the rate of necropotence. <laughs> <laughs> And Necropotence doesn't give you immunity from all their stuff for a turn. Yeah, and if you have ways of getting your life back, for example, with a Wormcoil engine or an Omnath, then you just kind of like undo all of that. Or if you just cast another The One Ring, you reset it and you can choose to draw more cards. Or if you have plenty, you don't have to. And you get another Fog out of it, which is also life gain. Uh, Cards Mm -hmm. just very powerful. I recommend playing Forces of Negation in Modern for a little bit. Yes, not force of negation, because card is indestructible. Yeah, you can't force a vigor <laughs> it. No. Uh, one of the cool things you can do with your own The One Ring is to fairy bounce it. Mm-hmm. Like, put go go up to three burn encounters and then just bounce it back to your hand yeah. and play it again. Like, it's it's a very strong card. And it, I, I like it a lot more in the four-color slot. Just like normal elemental stuff, uh, it, it kind of fills that Yorion role mm-hmm. where you're accelerating the game's pace just because you have so much cardboard now all at once and it also like randomly hoses uh your opponent interacting with you on several turns mm-hmm. which is something you can plan around it's a really good card yeah you can't get thought seized the turn that you play the one ring is thought a card it sees a lot of modern play nowadays i mean recto scam is like the be- one that's of, true. Is like the best deck in the format second best deck in the format uh... something like that I don't think it's up there, it's, but I, I, I think it's about it. it's really heavily played, and I think it is quite good. So you get thoughts. Every time I hear, every time I hear people talk about modern nowadays, it's always three decks: creativity, hammer, and rhinos. 
Like those are the three people we'll talk about. Sure. I, I don't I don't know if that's like indicative of anything, but those are the only ones I hear about. <laughs> I it is probably creativity is the best deck, but uh, scam is heavily played. Like, if you play a couple of leagues, you'll play against scam multiple times. Like, th- it's all around. Yeah, and I mean, Tron is a deck that is very lightly played. Like, Tron does not play very often. No. But I think the One Ring is an incredible tool to that deck. Yep. Uh, basically, any deck that wants to play Cart in the Great Creator could probably play the One Ring and be their their one percenters just shoots up. Like maybe you can play Amulet with the Wandering. Who who knows? Yeah, I mean that sounds. I, I mean a lot of times with Amulet, like fogging for a turn and drawing some cards will give you a kill on your next turn. Like, yeah, it's it's very good, uh, and you have so much mana in that deck. Yeah, like it Tron levels of mana. No, I I can believe the Wandering would be great in Amulet. The uh, the mono black deck may go from like D tier to C tier <laughs> because instead of playing Karn and Invoke Despair, you get to play Karn and the One Ring. That seems good. I, I made a joke uh, on a Discord and like minutes later, I saw a Mason decklist from Twitter. And my joke was that you can just pair the One Ring with Shieldred, the Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And that's just like infinite life and in cards. Yeah. Not real infinite, but, but it, it's a lot of it's life. It's a lot of life. Yeah. And sure enough, like I saw that post, and then someone is like, "Let's just cut all the invoke despairs and play Shieldred." So we gotta we gotta fit this combo together. I gotta make our own Phyrexian arena. There's a lot of four drops for modern, the format where I generally don't put a single four drop in my deck. But your Cabal hey, Coffers deck is, is its own deck. world of modern deck building. Like if we're putting Cabal Coffers in our deck, we're not trying to play cards that cost less than four. <laughs> so the problem with doing that thing is that like shieldred is just not that good of a card in modern like on its own so it doesn't stand on its own as part of this thing it's more of a combo piece but you know i i guess you could i i will not tell the mono black coffers players in modern what to do i don't i'm completely out of my element here hey shieldred blocks a rhino i'm just gonna put that out one rhino one rhino it also gets bounced by brazen borrower and tapped by ice. Yes. Whatever. Countered by mystical dispute. L- look, CCR, you don't have to sell me that the mono black deck might not be great. I'm, <laughs> I'm almost saying, there. Already. I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying the mono black de- mono black deck might struggle to fit the shieldreds in effectively. Is all. <laughs> no, yeah, but I every deck I see with the wandering has been improved by it. I, I it think just it's very, very good. good. Though I will say one, uh, I, I did hear a couple people saying that it's like really good. It's just sideboard random hate against combo decks in modern, mm-hmm. which don't exist in a form that is actually good, like that's actually bad against the one ring. Like all the combo decks either kill with Thassa's Oracle or that's it, right? Well, or it like, depends. Like your breach deck has a 50 50 chance of being a grape shot deck or a, you know sure the breach deck has fallen off pretty hard Mm -hmm. and well the combo version of the breach deck has fallen off very hard Mm -hmm. in modern recently uh hammer is also like a comp like air quotes combo deck where they just equip a hammer and like wait for a turn (laughs) i guess i don't know if you i i I know it's very good if you play the one ring against hammer they can't kill you that turn you draw three cards like that's oh it's good you're you're spot to be in but when you're like, I'll beat Yawgmoth and or 
any Fossil's Oracle deck. Uh, Yangmoff kills usually with Blood Artist, but if people are just playing a million of the One Rings, they're just kind of plays a little board Cutthroat instead. Like, mm-hmm. the card is not different. It was a little board Cutthroat does not target. Yeah. So that's the first card. <laughs> and the most important card. It's the set. You can also pass the turn and combo off with Yawgmoth, so, you know, there's that. True. But you don't have to. You don't have to if you have to cutthroat. <laughs> but the One Ring, yeah, not at its best against Yawgmoth generally. Yawgmoth also a deck I really like. When Whenever we get to talk about modern, like when Pioneer season's done, which may be never, but I hear there's a modern season somewhere. Someday. I, I really like Yawgmoth. Yeah, Yawgmoth's a really sweet good. deck that I should spend more time with, I think. Getting to play a bunch of Grists is, like, very cool. Grist is messed up. It, it's a great card. I love everything about it. I love all of the cards that whenever new cards come out and people are like, you can or cannot grist that in specific zones. <laughs> Every time it's humorous. <laughs> like uh, Stern Scolding. You can Stern Scolding a grist. Did you know that? I did know that. I was going to bring it up because I think that like this card is basically completely unplayable in modern except that it is extraordinary against Yawgmoth and just counters every spell in their deck <laughs> yes. that's not collected company <laughs> or that's not um court of calling i mean yeah it's blue mana counter target creature spell with power or toughness two or less every time i see this in deck lists i'm like in main decks i'm like why are you doing this this doesn't make any sense uh because the only cards you really want to counter it are in modern in the entirety of modern are cards that are a much better handled by spot removal with the, the same cost without timing restrictions mm-hmm. so like if they play a ragavan you would want to turn scolding it but you could just unholy heat it rather instead. heat it or fatal push it or whatever yeah or, or whatever like you have infinite Prismatic more infinitely ending, more time ley line binding to kill a ragavan after it leaves the stack mm-hmm. then the time you have to start scolding it so that's the first category of modern creatures there's also a lot of modern creatures that just doesn't hit like, you're not countering a Shardless Agent. Like, who cares? Mm-hmm. You're not countering a Merktide Regent. You're not countering... I mean, you can counter the Hammer Creatures, I guess, but then it's just a removal spell, too. Well, countering <laughs> like, Stoneforge Mystic is kind of nice. That is cool. And then you have the cards that don't really see a lot of modern play, which are the... Like, Urza, Lord Heart Artificer, is a one-power creature mm-hmm. that you get a lot of value from countering it, but you do not get a lot of value from removing it with a removal spell but you also and there's not there will not play against it <laughs> yeah you're not going to play against it and yawgmoth is like in that vein as well mm-hmm. which is also a high value low stat creature uh, and all the cards in the yawgmoth deck of course <laughs> fit that whole right archetype so it's only good against yawgmoth basically yeah and i don't think it's a so i mean my my gut on this card is it's not good enough to play in your deck because imagine you lose the die roll and your opponent is a Ragavan deck. Well, this card doesn't have text anymore. That's not good. So I, I don't think I, I struggle to see playing it in a main deck. And then it also doesn't feel good enough to be a sideboard card. Like it, it doesn't hammer, you know, it's efficient when it's good, but it's not crushing anybody. I don't know. And I don't know that it has like broad enough application that it can be one of your like utility things in your sideboard and it this isn't like modern isn't a format like pioneer where in pioneer it's like you know i can't 
play these rending volleys in my main deck, but it's an incredible removal spell against three decks in the format, and I can find space in my sideboard for incredible removal spell. Like, in Modern, you can just main deck incredible removal spell. You can main deck Lightning Bolt, Prismatic Ending, Leyline Binding, Unholy Heat, Fatal Push, and they're all phenomenal. So I don't think that that sort of coverage is an important thing in modern sideboards. And unless there are a couple of very specific applications where it's like, gotta counter Stoneforge Mystic, I gotta counter Yawgmoth, and and I'm desperate to counter Solitudes or something like that and that <laughs> actually works for you. I, I mean, maybe, but I, I'm skeptical. I'm, I don't know a deck that it can go in. And also like a lot of the blue decks that would appreciate an effect like this are Cascade decks, so... Right. Yeah, you just can't do it. Yeah, don't want to cascade into Stern's Golding. Then you would receive a Stern's Golding from your opponent, <laughs> which is the last thing you want to well, do. Just, just a shellacking. I think your opponent would be fine with it. It depends on how disappointed they are in you. You can cast Shardless Agent, cascade into Stern's Golding, and then counter your Shardless counter Agent. <laughs> and then concede and walk out of the building. <laughs> That's your move. Storm count two. Go ahead. All right, I'm, I'm out. I'm done. Good games. <laughs> So I, I do kind of struggle to see the full application of this card, but I, I perhaps am not fully open opened to the possibilities. It, it doesn't feel that good to me, though. See, the, the problem with like the next step in evaluating preview cards is always like, what deck does this go in? And you have to be playing a blue deck in modern that wants this effect. And I just don't think there are any. Right. Yeah. Like even if the card itself was fine, and I don't think it is. Like, what deck is actually interested in this effect? I couldn't think of one. Yeah. I don't know. Can we talk about Rosie Cotton next? Yeah, we can definitely talk about Rosie Cotton of South Lane. Two and a white, one one, legendary creature, halfling peasant. When she enters the battlefield, create a food token. Whenever you create a token, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control other than Rosie. Like, primarily, this is a collected company o bowl combo piece that goes with Scurry Oak. Yeah, so this is unplayable. Right. And I just want to remind everyone that there already exists a collected company combo deck, uh, a collected companyable combo that is infinite, which is Heliod, right? Like this exists already and it's not playable. Yeah, I think that there's a difference between making infinite life and infinite power. Yes, I think there's a legitimate difference between those two things. Yes, I, I agree, but I don't think it's. The structure of the deck lends itself to capitalizing on that difference. No. Like at any point. I'm, I'm skeptical that a, a company combo deck is like where you want to be in the like solitude format. Right. I I, I don't think this card is playable at all. Yeah. Unfortunate to all the devoted druid homies out there who got to keep being true to themselves. <laughs> yeah. I, I played against devoted druid relatively recently and I was playing a solitude ephemerate deck and it just... I, it felt like we were playing different eras of Magic the Gathering. And you were on the good era of Magic the Gathering. Well, the more recent one, at least. Yeah. <laughs> the more powerful era. Uh, card that, I I don't know, similar, not similar vein, I guess, but would go into kind of similar decks potentially, but probably goes into a lot of things. We mentioned it earlier is Delighted Halfling. Green for 1-2. Tap to add a colorless and tap to add a mana of any color. Spend this mana only to cast a legendary spell and that spell can't be countered. Number one, this is a mana dork with two toughness, so it doesn't die to Renin 6, which is 
like enough to get it to see play as long as the mana actually helps you. But also there's a lot of good legendary cards and making them uncounterable is probably fine. I I think Anurag already posted about casting the one ring with Delighted Halfling in Legacy. So yeah, the, the best part was the screenshot where Delighted Halfling cast Teferi on turn two. Uncounterable Teferi Un- time route. That seems really good, honestly. That seems very, very strong. strong. And I think the four a version of the four color can, deck can exist with Delighted Halfling if that sort of effect is good because you have Renin Six, the One Ring, Teferi. It, it's just really Omnath itself, even. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of stuff to do this with This might be Halfling. fantastic in that deck. Honestly, like one of the things that's most obnoxious about that deck is that like Omnath is a four mana spell that you can't really like you kind of want to cast when you're on five five mana and then yeah yeah, you really run away with it but you would love to do that a turn earlier like this might just be incredible in that i i do think i i think this is the card other than the one ring that is the best in the set Mm -hmm. Uh, especially because it's got that like cavern of souls attacked on uncounterability like added onto it uh, it's bringing mana dorks back into modern in a big way i think but in a very specific shell yeah like you have to play legends with it and there's a lot of good ones there's more coming out every year a lot of good legends i that just the interaction with teferi time reveler i think is phenomenal and probably is going to be a pretty big change to the format like that seems really strong to me yeah i i need this is the card i'm looking forward to picking up the most uh they're still a little pricey right now because it's release day Mm -hmm. but i this is the card I really want to get into when it's modern is in the swing. Yeah. And it's so unassuming. Like you can't really say much more about it because it's, you know, it's a mana dork and we're used to mana dorks being bad because they all have one toughness and they rent six is legal in this format and very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when you've got two toughness and you do more stuff. Yeah. You have to spend a card to kill this one that there's no other way around it and if you don't have like, it, is it gonna feel good to use your prismatic ending or whatever on a delighted halfling i mean maybe i mean but... yeah i think you're like pretty fine with that happening it's it's an even it's an even exchange right. but it's not like a threat card right which is always nice yeah i know and you're modern, trying to run them out modern cards right now really go pound for pound yeah nowadays yeah but i think that this one is just so terrifying that you're gonna have to kill it granted if everyone playing removal spells transitions into the one ring then you know card economy is not what it used to be (laughs) yeah i mean well but that's huge for delighted halfling right the one ring existing in that deck is that like i spent a i spent a card on my mana guy but now i'm drawing like six cards off of this ring i of course i want to get my ring out a turn early it it also gets around the force of uh negation thing like any counter spell doesn't work on the one ring anymore because that is also a legendary spell that gets uncounterable by delighted halfling yeah and then it's indestructible while it's on the battlefield so like you're not killing this with very much you've got leyline binding and yeah prismatic ending and that's it no this is kind of terrifying i don't know exactly how you make all of the slots work and and put make this into a 60 card deck and have everything that you want because it's already like kind of stretched but I, I think oh, you just play 80 cards. You don't need Yorion. No, like we, I think we, we're past that. <laughs> I, I think you want to get it down to 60 cards because you want as many delighted halfling to ferry the one ring draws as you possibly can have, you know? Yeah. Yes. I, I don't think that you like maybe you drop some Nissas. Maybe you don't play four delighted halflings 
I, oh, I, yeah, I think, think Nissa is like an easy go. cut from this thing. Like, why do you need Nissa if you have Omnaths in the One Ring? And yeah, yeah, you're you're basically replacing Nissa with cards, two separate cards that fulfill her role. Mm-hmm. Like Delighted Halfling makes mana. The One Ring gives you cards, right? Uh, which feels a little weird that it, you're decompressing slots like that. But those other two cards are so good at what they do. I don't it feels like those two these two cards are just like the stars of the set to me yeah for for modern like if for commander and legacy maybe orcish bow masters makes a showing which we can talk about next if you want but i don't think it's going to be that good in modern well i just saw a discord post from uh nick shirillo aka bob and cheese he's narrating his current modern league he says, my opponent just went Goblin Engineer, Bin Batterskull into Forge Anew, Reanimate Batterskull, Equip Engineer to attack me. Nick is on burn, by the way. So he's just getting turn three attacked by Batterskull equipped to Goblin Engineer. Why does his opponent have Batterskull in his deck? I also love Forge Anew. It's a two and a white enchantment, which I don't have pulled out, but I should let you read it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a two and a white enchantment that when it ETBs, you can return equipment from your graveyard to the battlefield. And then, like, once per turn, you can equip an equipment for free at instant speed. Uh, so, potentially a really powerful card. I, I don't know if it's post-board or what. I, probably it is post-board. But there's some sort of Stoneforge Mystic Goblin Engineer. I think if you have Batterskull in your deck at all, mm-hmm. it's a main board card. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> because Batterskull sucks. Yeah, but it's a, it's a one-slot sideboard card against burn in your goblin engineer stoneforge mystic forge a new deck right like you know i mean yeah there's probably more effective one slot cards not if not if those cards are all in your deck i don't think so i think i think i've played i played against burn with stoneforge mystic when they just like kill your stoneforge mystic you just lose the game yeah but batter school is your plan if they but you all have the goblin engineer forge a new plan it's (laughs) very good Oh my god. What if the batter school's already in my hand? <laughs> he said they also have Argentum armor in their deck. Yeah, this is a thousand Argentum armor is six mana vindicate equipment. <laughs> yes. Also gives plus six plus six. Yes. No keywords. Uh Forge New does seem like a powerful, reasonably exploitable card, and perhaps a new avenue for Goblin Engineer, because that's a nice two three. Like get culture complete into play or whatever like that's that's pretty nice yeah it, it is cool and you can also equip culture complete for free once to yeah. give every subsequent creature haste yep uh, which is very strong i i'm, I'm cool with that I, I just also thought it would be like a good spot to try and hammer mm-hmm. because there's like always two flex spots in that deck which are pretty mediocre and this could be a mediocre card that does something different like gives you a little bit of i can't think of the word well i think yeah i think it's really <laughs> nice because like Core Outfitter is one that sometimes finds its way in because the deck just feels a little tiny bit short on equippers, but Core Outfitter is a terrible card. There's also like Steel Shaper's Gift, Mana Tithe. Mm-hmm. Like there's like there's several cards that cost a mana or so that just aren't very good in a lot of spots. Yeah. But this this fills that role and gets you back your equipment that got disenchanted or countered or whatever. Or thought seized. Yeah. I, I, I think this card is pretty powerful. It also has a cool little interaction with first strike granting equipment like Cauldron. Yes. <laughs> uh, so if you attack with your Cauldron Complete Germ, for instance, and another creature, you can deal first strike damage with the Germ, equip before normal damage is dealt, 
to a different creature. So now that creature has first strike, but didn't deal damage during first strike phase. So it has to deal damage during the normal damage phase. So it does so. Yeah. It's a lot of damage. Yeah, it's an extra five damage yeah. per turn. No, Forge Anew plus Calder Complete is It, it also very makes combat powerful. very difficult. Like, if your opponent's ever trying to engage in combat Oh, you can't with block you, any of their stuff, yeah. No. It, it's just going to go bad for you no matter what. No, you need to be dealing with this stuff, like, with removal and on the stack. Like, there's, there's no other way. And then I guess, just mention the Cyclers. You know, we've got... Generous Ent, which is a six mana, five, seven reach that when it ETBs, you get a food. We've got Oliphant, which is a six, four trample. When it attacks, it gives a creature plus two, plus O and trample until end of turn. The Oliphant has mountain cycling for one generic and the Generous Ent has four cycling for one generic. And I'm pretty interested in experimenting with substituting these kind of one for one for lands in Living End and just upping the density of if these weren't so big, I would be a little less excited, but they are gigantic and hit really hard. And, you know, if we can replace even like two lands with a couple of these, that makes the deck better. If you can go even deeper, then that might be a really interesting change to the deck. The thing that is that you're trying to avoid is like, yes, these are lands, but the situation where you cycle looking for a land and you hit a land cycler and then you just have to pass the turn is something that you really need to avoid. So I don't know what the numbers are to make that not happen too much. Uh, I know that like aggressive mulliganing is going to continue to be part of the equation here. And, you know, we'll see how the deck ends up changing but i am fairly confident that some number of these even if it's a small number is going to be right in the deck going forward does this afford you the freedom to play more waterlogged groves and fiery islets i don't think so because you are you're cutting fetch lands for these and then you have to have a certain number of lands of the land type to be very like at, at the very basic end of it or, or else you'd like run out of fetchables or just like miss and i i don't think that you want so there there is a, like a high level experimental thing that you could try to do with the black land cycler and get two watery graves in there and then be able to cast your griefs some amount of the time i don't think that you can like sustain that because the mana base is already kind of just bordering on the edge of having the right colored sources for you to do what you want to do this sounds like too much of a math problem mm -hmm. and we're disguising it as not a math problem it is a math problem it 100 is a math problem but it has so many variables that i don't really know how to deal with it except by like just playing with it and, and doing it by feel okay how, how sold are you on the two watery graves? You're not going to go watery grave overgrown tomb if you want to try the black version. There's basically no chance that overgrown tomb is going to find its way into my deck with curator of mysteries, striped river winder, you know, let's pull out the Zagoth triomes. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. It's, it's got cycling. It's in theme. That's that's not <laughs> what we're looking for, Lee. Sorry, I got confused by the words on the cards. It, it seems almost impossible that it is right to build Living End without at least like two of these guys in it and perhaps more. So that's the red one does seem really strong. 
The green one is just huge. Yes. If you if you just get the red one back with Shardless Agent, that is a two-turn clock that you've just set up. So, like, that's and how... It works so well with the Hexproof 5-5 five five Riverwinder. Mm-hmm. Is that what the card's called? Yeah. It, it gives it... It makes it a 7-5 Trampler, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's... That you can't interact with? Yeah. No, I, I think that Oliphant is really good and will make even small living ends just crush them. Like... A, a really common thing that happens in matchups is you're like forced to grief and cycle once and then because you know your opponent is doing interactive stuff or is threatening to fairy or has put to fairy on the stack or something like that and so you have to just like do a small living end and you get back a grief and a guy but if you get back a grief and an oliphant they're dead like that's enough damage over a turn and or two like they'll they'll die I mean, it's 11 damage right there yeah. right so no, I'm I'm cool with the land cyclers and living in. I'm sure people will try them out. I'm sure you'll try them out on Thursday if you can. Yeah, they're just commons. No, I I tried to try them out today, but like no bots had Lord of the Rings commons, so we'll we'll do it. How many Thursday. did you draft? I mean, I passed some Oliphants because they weren't going to be very Rookie good in my mistake. deck. I I <laughs> I drafted one time on Magic Online. I will not be doing it again. That it wasn't very fun. I don't know. Uh, any other there are a couple other lord of the rings cards we could talk about do you want to go into any if there's anything you're particularly interested in but i i'm kind of good for now i kind of have this urge deep inside me to just make fun of all the samwise gamgee decks people are building <laughs> <laughs> because i i respect the hustles samwise samwise gamgee is a g uh, gw22 legendary halfling peasant Whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, you make a food token. And then you can sack three foods to return a historic card from your graveyard to your hand. So any artifact, uh, any legendary card, and Urza Saga. Mm-hmm. Those are the 30 targets yes. for Samwise Gamgee. A lot of, I've seen a lot of decks with this character because it's part of like a, a combo with Cauldron Familiar. Mm-hmm. If you have Cauldron Familiar, Sam, and any Sacrifice Engine that's free and repeatable like Visper Seer, Carrion Feeder, the only two I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. You. They die. Go infinite. Yeah. Right. You just like sack the college and familiar. You, you get a tote, you get a food for playing one of these creatures from, from Sam. Mm-hmm. And then you sack the college and familiar to Visper Seer. It, bring it back. It gets a food. Sack it again. Bring it back. It gets a food. And they're just dead. Uh, unfortunately, this is a three card combo. That requires two of the cards to be in play. You can you can have a cauldron familiar in graveyard. That's cool. So that that is actually good. Uh, it's got a good level of you don't need all, all three cards in play at the same time. You can like discard cauldron familiar, play out early, do whatever, you, mill it over. It doesn't matter. And if your sacrifice outlet have... is a historic permanent, then Sam can get it back too. Is there a sacrifice engine that's a historic permanent? I don't actually know. I don't know. The only one I could think of off the top of my head is spawning pit. Which is a two mana artifact you can sack a creature for free. Oh, um, times a turn. the altar of dementia is historic. Yeah, that's probably better than spawning pit because it can mill over culture pillar. Yeah, don't know why I went to spawning pit first. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's it's you. <laughs> this is a, this is a you thing. <laughs> they hey, they're both two mana artifacts with repeatable sacrifice. There's actually not that many. Of that's those. true, but the one that does a thing probably is what you want hey what if your thing is making zombies do you ever think about that ccr that's not my thing <laughs> uh the problem is with the decks i've seen this combo in look really bad 
uh, a lot of people are really leaning into Asmore and just the whole food mm-hmm. engine in general. And I don't think that's actually good because those cards have never been good in Modern, right? Except for the very first week Modern Horizons released. Well, they're good right now. The Gario's Vengeance deck is actually oh, excellent. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Because that's that's a little bit of a different animal, Yeah, right? for sure. But Asmore is a, a solid part of that deck. So th- there is at least now a pedigree of like, yeah, this card's fine. Yeah, Asmore in that deck is more of like your backup slash stabilizing tool kind of it's often the distraction uh, they have to interact with right. it and then you get to you know emrakul them or whatever or but you're always building towards this bigger game right that just buries your opponent and the the asmore decks with samwise that are more combo focused you're not really doing the same thing like the asmore is your backup plan that's not going to kill your opponent on your own into forcing your opponent to engage with the combo that actually does kill them which they want to interact with anyway but the asmore stuff is not strong enough to win the game after they've dealt with your combo like that's that's kind of the issue i have with these decks Mm -hmm. yeah i i mean i think it's very likely that there is something there i do think that sam is a strong card in this kind of like unbounded triggered ability that creates stuff you know, whenever another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, create a food token is exploitable. That, that, that It's just generating resources for something that is relatively easy to do. And I I don't know how to build it exactly. I, I'm not sure like what the right exact composition is. But the fact that he also like brings back your altar of dementia and like milling stuff into your graveyard. Like there's gotta be a way to build this. That's like pretty powerful. And it may not be this like clunky Asmore stuff, but uh, there's something here. I, I think I would really want to lean in on the Urza saga, like buying back Urza saga portion of it mm-hmm. as your, your mid range game plan. Sure. But I don't, I, I don't know. I, I've seen, several deck lists with samwise one of them was a protean hulk deck uh, but... well yeah samwise <laughs> makes your protean hulk combo a little more like uninteractable with but the labor of getting protean hulk into play and into your graveyard seems so much more difficult than getting a an emrakul attacking them or whatever like yeah exactly like why 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 is why do all that trouble yeah. life's hard enough you don't have to make your life harder uh, i forgot what i was gonna say but i I think Sam is very good, mm-hmm. or or quite good. I don't think it's quite as good as the like the two cards I actually like in the set, the ring and the halfling. But Sam has the text, which makes you think you can like do something. I don't know if he'll ever get there, but I hope he does. Yeah, and I think there's a really good chance that the pieces aren't there yet, but something you know could get printed that unlocks what he's doing. I think the more food we see down the line, mm-hmm. the more chance Sam has to shine again. Sure. Like, we're going back to Eldraine. I don't know if food's going to be part of Eldraine this time. Probably unlikely to me, but who knows. Uh, but, you know, food is an evergreen token. Yeah. So somewhere down the line, we'll see food again. And if the card is fits into what Sam wants to do, Sam has another chance to shine, right? Yeah. Like, it's a card with good growth potential. Yes, so invest i guess yeah put put it into your hobbit portfolio yeah yeah i mean i do think he works really well with urza saga creates food tokens to make your constructs very large 
revise your Urza Saga with those food tokens. Um, there's just, yeah, some nice synergy there. Usually in any of the food decks with Urza Saga, your constructs are, are lethal. Yeah. infinitely large. <laughs> For sure. But he's a nice contributor to that plan. Right. Yeah, that's cool. I'm, I'm cool not talking about any other cards we have listed. Some of them are, you know, will show up, but I, I don't feel a burning need to talk about them. Yeah. He also is, and, and we didn't note this, but he also is a uh, two mana 2-2 two, two that dies to Lightning Bolt, Unholy Heat, Fatal Push, Solitude, Fury. Like, I mean, it's just a creature, right? He's, he's just a creature, but a creature that... Like, he's just a guy. Like, you can't just put him into play. You you really want to be doing something the turn he comes into play and getting the value out of him. He's not just like a... If you play it turn two, you will lose on a mana differential that turn that probably will go cascading throughout the rest of the modern game which will only last like two more turns you know two mana creatures that die to lightning bolt are not playable in modern you have to be doing something with it yeah it does not make a food when sam enters the battlefield it has to be a different creature entering the battlefield yeah so so you don't even get like a little bit from him you gotta you gotta do some work here but yeah i think that's plenty for us to have talked about today yeah, we we got in our all our hatred for Las Vegas out in one episode. That was that was healthy. I don't have any desire to go play a magic tournament in Las Vegas. That's all. Yeah, me either. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thanks y'all. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for listening. Catch the stream uh Tuesdays, Thursdays and maybe adding like a weekend challenge day regularly or something like that. I don't really know what I'm Ooh. what my plans are, but I I want to play more challenges. What format? Probably whatever format I'm RCQing at the time, you know, if there's a so pioneer for the next year and a half, I guess. Yeah. But I know, you know, the, the exploit for magic streaming is top eight, a challenge tweet that you are in top eight of the challenge. And then you will immediately get like a hundred viewers who want to watch the top eight of the challenge. So, you know, I should set myself up for that by playing the challenges. Yeah, that's that's the cheat code to magic streaming. I think it's like an important aspect, especially if so. I definitely have my audience is people who want to see somebody playing constructed and trying at it, even if I'm not always, you know, piloting the deck set like the the 100 percent skill level or whatever. But, you know, people come and engage and are really interested in just me playing the good pioneer decks in the format. And I assume will be interested in me playing the good modern decks in the format when it is modern season. And whenever I switch to something else, chat quiets down, people leave. Uh, doing a Lord of the Rings draft was not not healthy for my viewership. And uh, I will be avoiding that in the future. But, it, you know, I I I know what I like to be doing and what I am like presenting to my audience and what they'll appreciate. So just we've got to make sure to stick to that. Well, you know, good luck on the first pioneer challenge, whenever that happens. Yeah, we'll see. I believe I am RCQing this weekend and probably will not be RCQing and then doing a challenge stream the next day. That yeah, seems like I, a lot, but I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. You really got to, one of the things uh, I've learned, you really got to moderate your magic. You can't just like play magic five times a week. Yeah, <laughs> It's really hard it to is. do other things. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You, you miss out on actually living your life at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks y'all. Have a great week. Bye.